Welcome to the Horseman's Academy podcast presented by Lundahl Performance. We believe in making advanced horsemanship accessible, and our mission is to present a raw, authentic look at horse training. We're problem solving, we're answering difficult questions, and we're breaking down common sense exercises for riders of all levels. On this podcast, we document the lessons we've learned in our own horsemanship journey while offering insights that might help you achieve your horsemanship goals. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. In this voice memo, I'm going to share a couple stories that relate to cult starting, as well as the number one exercise I believe that has really saved my neck. But it's important to set the table up front by telling you that just doing this one thing by itself with no preparation, no groundwork, not teaching the horse how to flex to the halter leading up to this um, is the ignorant way to do this and is going to create more problems than it solves. But with the correct preparation, this one step that I'm going to be talking about, and I'm going to describe the why behind it and why it's so important. But if you complete this one milestone, it effectively bridges the gap between all the groundwork you've done to prepare for the first ride on a colt or an older horse that you're retraining and the subsequent rides under saddle. So you bridge the skills that you're teaching on the ground and transfer them to the saddle in a really safe way. If you want to understand the greater context for where this exercise fits into the program, I'll include a couple of links down in the description of this episode where you can check out other podcasts where Amy and I sat down and we go through in deep detail the day-by-day, play-by-play version of how we start every horse that comes through our program. So you're going to understand the preparation leading up to this, where this exercise fits in, and once you have that greater context there, you can use this safely. And as I told my email subscribers, if you want to see actual video and a whole course uh, explaining this and showing it, I'll include a link to that website in the description as well. All right, let's jump into the voice memo. Good morning, everybody. Jake Lundahl here. Wanted to share a couple stories this morning. There's a moral lesson here on like a karma level, as well as practical insights when it comes to starting colts and training greener horses. The theme being how to prevent ourselves from getting somersaultingly yeeted out of the saddle and seeing our lives flash before our eyes before we crash helplessly into the dirt. How do we prevent that type of stuff from happening? And I'm going to share one of, if not the number one things that I've implemented in my program that has saved my neck many times over. Um, And these two stories have similar themes and they very closely relate. But Amy and I went out to dinner last night with Adam and and Jennifer. Those of you that follow us, you probably know Jennifer of Fire and Ice Horses. Um, She runs a thoroughbred rescue out in Las Vegas. And it was almost a year to the day that she came out here with two horses, one that she had just picked up from a rescue and another off-the-track thoroughbred that she had had in training for a while. And she brought both those horses out here and rode and trained with us for several weeks. Um, And we filmed every bit of it, all the, the starting process for the greener horse, as well as the more advanced riding stuff that we did with the trained horse. 
um, Jennifer we filmed and rode with, and then there's another mutual friend of ours that was here almost two months riding and training with us and filming every bit of that. And we're, we've been putting that together. It's been a project for the last year, putting all that stuff together into a new course that we're launching. It's going to make the Cult Starting Secrets series that we released before and that many of you guys have purchased and enjoyed look amateurish by comparison. I mean, this is like next level, not only as far as the foundation training stuff goes, but how much further we take it and advance it. There's a lot of valuable stuff in here that's going to help a lot of people. So she happened to be in the area, Jennifer was anyway, and we kind of got together as a good chance to catch up and whatnot. And uh, I told her this story that I had kind of forgotten about. I originally was going to make a podcast about it and actually recorded a segment on it. And then just for whatever reason, um, I never got around to posting it. But we were talking about this situation and then she brought up another story that's actually something that happened to her personally when she was starting a horse. And back when it happened, she and I had talked and she'd sent me video because she happened to be filming the whole incident and, and we talked through it. And um, it's kind of a good, a good teaching moment, you might say, a good experience that like, you know, is kind of a, like she ended up coming off of a horse that she was starting and the scenario that led up to that um, she gave me permission to share and talk about that and, and how that situation happened and the lessons that can be gleaned from that. So both of these stories really relate to each other. And as I said, there's a moral lesson with one of them in particular, but there's also a practical insight here. So let's start with what happened to Jennifer. So the basic rundown is she gets a horse in for training that had been through several handlers previously, maybe even a trainer or two, had basically failed this thing out of the program and sent it home, saying, this thing's too much of a tough nut to crack, it's too much horse for you, etc. And so Jennifer gets this horse in, and if anybody's going to get this thing riding the way it ought to be, it's her. Because as I've said previously in other podcasts, especially when it comes to training off-the-track thoroughbreds. Jennifer is one of the few, one of the very few people out there that knows what the hell they're doing, in my personal opinion. And, you know, she, uh, she understands the importance of preparation of groundwork. And so she meticulously prepared this horse. This horse came in, it's got, like, this thing was a bit of a hard case. It had some fight, it had some snort, it came in with a lot of bad habits about being resistant and overreactive to pressure. Um, obviously, part of that was that horse's just natural temperament. But then the other part of it, it had been, been made worse by failed training previously. This thing had a lot of bad habits. So Jennifer prepared this thing on the ground meticulously for that first ride. She did several weeks worth of groundwork. Um, which is way more even than I typically do with the client horses that I start or retrain. But she wanted to make absolutely certain that when she got on this thing's back, that it was going to be a safe and successful ride when she got up there. And, and just didn't take anything for granted, which is always one of my biggest pieces of advice to people on a safety level, is that I'll always go out of my way to check certain boxes, make sure there are no holes so that I don't leave any stone unturned in that horse's foundation. I will never just take something they offer at face value 
or take for granted that the horse knows. I'm going to make them prove to me that they're safe. I'm going to make them prove to me that they're going to respond in the correct way. And so she does several weeks of groundwork, lunging, backing. She's got this thing flexing to the, initially the halter on the ground really well, and then the bridle and is flexing it from the opposite side. And, you know, even doing some more advanced groundwork stuff like circle driving and yielding the four quarters, yielding the hind quarters, lots and lots of backing, all this type of stuff. And as well as introducing the saddle and all that and felt that she had prepared this horse to a, a reasonable level to get on its back. The only downside is that she was by herself. Typically, even when Amy and I are starting or retraining horses, we have somebody on the ground helping us in the round pin the first couple times just to help us create forward motion and get the horse moved out around the round pin, right? Um, but Jennifer didn't have that, which is another reason that she overprepared because if she gets in trouble with this horse, there's not anybody that's going to be able to help her save that situation. So, and I've done that myself before. It's, it's much harder when you're alone and you don't have a helper in the round pin with you, right? So she does her best to prepare. However, there's one thing that she didn't teach the horse, and it's what I consider an essential element of my program. And we put this in our colt starting course and show it extensively, which is our checking around exercises. When we first, uh, when we initially have the saddle on that horse's back and they've worn it a time or two, and we're introducing them to the idea, once we've taught them to flex at a standstill, we check their head around and actually have their head tied around at like a little bit past 90 degree angle, either to their tail, to their hock, or to the back of the saddle. And we will flag that horse around, meaning their head is bent. It's actually tied in position, fixed with one rein. The offside rein is just kind of hanging loosely, so it's not pulling on them, but not something they're going to step through. And then we're actually going to use a flag, like a, a stick and string with a bag on it or a fabric flag or something, to kind of haze that horse around a little bit, kind of put a little pressure, break their feet loose, and kind of spiral them front end, hind end, front end, hind end, and kind of make them turn and make these little loop-the-loops and spirals around the perimeter of the round pin. What this teaches, there's actually several things that we're doing here. Number one, this, and probably the most important, this horse, up till this point, has never been introduced to the concept of softening to bridle pressure or to halter pressure or pressure of the hackamore, whatever we're using on their face. They've never had to soften and submit to that pressure and give their face while their feet are in motion. Okay, that's the big thing. The other big thing is that other than the lunging exercises we've been doing where they're, they're asked to go on a circle and kind of follow the feel of the halter, the horse has never really had to follow their nose, again, while they're wearing a saddle and while their feet are in motion. And for a lot of horses, that is a, in fact, I'd argue most horses, that is a big step in their life because any kind of any kind of softening or, or lateral flexion in particular that we've been able to teach up to that point has been from a standstill. Now we're putting that horse in a physical bind with their head checked around and we're asking them to still move their feet and follow a feel. 
That is an extremely delicate but extremely important lesson that I feel needs to be taught to the horse before I'm going to get on their back, okay? Because when I get in the saddle for that first ride, what is the first thing I'm going to be doing? I'm either going to flex or I'm at least, at the very least, going to have that horse's nose tipped laterally and I'm going to try to spiral them a little bit, kind of get their hindquarters broke loose and kind of spiral that horse out so they can move forward and, and go move out around the round pin. Okay, that's number one. Or when I want to stop or change directions, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be picking up on that horse's face. I'm going to be putting that horse in a physical bind, either to tip their nose one way or another or kind of spiral them down into a circle or turn them and change directions. You know, I'm putting them in a bind that way, or I'm putting them in an even bigger bind by drawing their head all the way around towards my toe and doing a one rein stop, either just to practice being able to shut their feet down in a safe and controlled way, or if that horse is having some kind of reaction and it becomes a safety issue, I'm going to be doing a one rein stop to shut their feet down and try to stay safe there and bring the horse back under control, okay? Now, horses instinctually, Mother Nature has instilled in them a deep-seated fear and loathing of any kind of physical bind, all right? Any kind of physical confinement or especially a part of their body, particularly their legs, but also their face, being physically bound or restricted by a rope, by a bridle, it doesn't matter. Horses will instinctively, when they, can't, when they feel that they can't move freely, their next instinctual option is to panic, thrash, and fight and try to break whatever physical bind is holding them there. You see that with horses that pull back, for example. A lot of times, you know, something will cause the horse to react or spook, even if it's become a mindless habit where the horse just does it reflexively. How it starts, usually, is that something spooked that horse or caused a reaction when that horse was tied up solid. And the horse initially went to move and try to put distance between themselves and whatever was making them uncomfortable, right? Because horses are flight animals. Their first and preferred option is to simply just move away, just run away from danger. But when they hit the solid end of that rope and they realize that they're tied up, the next immediate option, and the only one they feel they have at that point, is to panic, thrash, fight do whatever they can to break that physical restriction, you know, and, and mother nature has, has ingrained that deeply. Like she, mother nature basically tells the horse, if you feel like you're in trouble and you're bound up or your feet are restricted and you can't run away, panic, thrash, fight, like for survival, fight for your life. Like your life depends on it. Do whatever you have to do. Rip your own leg off if you have to to get, a, get away and, and create distance there, and then we can assess, you know, the damage after the fact, right? But in the moment, and all this happens within the fraction of a second, that horse sets back, feels that solid halter pressure, goes to panic, thrash, fight, and if they succeed in breaking the halter and lead rope, nine times out of ten, that horse will turn, maybe take a few steps, and then just kind of stand there bewildered or go go to munching grass or something. You know, like for the vast majority of horses that I've seen, 
that pull back and, and break the halter or break the lead rope successfully, they don't really go anywhere because once they break that physical restriction and they realize that their feet are free, they can move freely again, well, now they don't feel vulnerable anymore. It's, they only felt vulnerable when they were physically confined, right? So horses, and there's a lot of other examples we can use, you know, any kind of physical restriction, whether it's tying a horse up, whether it's having a horse submit to having their feet being picked up and held so the farrier can work on them, whether it's loading a horse in a trailer or asking them to, to ride through a confined space, or whether it's you on their back picking up and either bending the horse's nose or steering them or flexing their head around, we're putting our horses in a situation where we want them to soften and relax and submit to a physical bind or to physical confinement. This is a skill that goes against some of their deepest instincts as a flight animal, but it's, it's a skill that we need to teach them and instill through habits that we create through training in order to get along with that horse safely and successfully. And not just be able to ride them and steer and guide them around, but as I said, load them on a trailer, tie them up safely, have someone be able to handle their feet all these things are practical things that we need to be able to do to just even take care of our horse at a basic level. Okay, so a lot of, the, and people want to deny this or they never really think about it this way, but it's the truth. A lot of things that we do with our horses in order to do them safely and successfully require us to teach the horse the opposite habit mentally or the put the opposite thought in their brain than, than what Mother Nature originally intended, right? And for riding anyway, and for safety purposes as well as training, there's no more important lesson and habit to instill than the idea that when, you, when the horse's face is in some kind of a bind, when there's pressure being applied either to their mouth with the bridle or to their nose with the hackamore, or even with just the halter and lead rope. The idea being if I pick up and I bend your nose left or right while your feet are in motion, you need to soften, relax, and either follow that feel, or if I bend your head all the way around while your feet are in motion, stop and soften, right? Allow me to bring you to a one rein stop in a safe and controlled way. That is one of the most fundamental building blocks of just basic safety and control on a young or a green horse. And there's a way, so that checking around exercise that we do in the round pin, and as I said, we filmed and showed that in our Colt Starting Secrets course, we believe in that so firmly because no other groundwork exercise accurately replicates the feeling that that horse will experience when you actually get on their back and have the rein in your hand and you're trying to either flex them steer them or bring them to a stop with one rein. The only exercise that can replicate that sensation and the angle and the type of pressure that they're going to be experiencing with a rider is that checking around exercise. And there, there's a reason that we always do at least two sets of it before we get on a horse's back. And if they, if they really have a, have a problem with it and they're very resistant then we know that horse is not ready to ride. And sometimes they are, you know, and we'll do an extra session or two to make sure that that horse understands that when we get on their back, if we need to go tip their nose or bend their head all the way around, 
that the right answer is to relax and submit to that pressure, not panic, thrash, fight, get scared, etc., which is what their instincts are going to tell them to do. Okay. Now I say that, and there's a little bit of a caveat here because there are some, and it depends on breeding, there are some horses out there that are so good-minded, so docile naturally, and so acquiescent to that, that Forrest Gump on three hits of acid could train that horse. Literally anybody could get on that thing's back with no preparation and steal rides off that horse and get away with it just because that horse is so naturally good-minded. Okay, Those horses do exist. I'm not talking about those horses. I'm talking about the average horse that like the general horse owning public may have. Or in this case, this is like a remedial case where this horse has failed training previously and it has bad habits that are known and it has holes in its foundation. You know, So whether it's that kind of a horse, whether it's a Mustang, whether it's an off-the-track thoroughbred, or even a ranch horse that, you know, it's been living out on the range, basically feral for several years until you bring it in as a two or a three-year-old to be started, you know, that, that horse is going to be a lot more reactive and resistant in certain ways than the hybrid, um, you know, cream of the crop performance horse. So it's apples to oranges, you know, it's, it's not a direct comparison, but, um, this horse in particular, this remedial horse, I would argue really needed that stage before Jennifer got on his back, but she didn't do that exercise, okay? She got on this horse's back. Now, albeit she had done a ton of groundwork, she had prepared this horse way more than most people ever would, even professional trainers, okay? So by all rights, this ride ought to go well. But what happened is she got in the saddle, the ride started okay, but when she asked that horse to move out more around the round pin, then it went south. And this whole sequence happened within a, a second or two, but I'll kind of break it down in stages. So she goes to move this horse around in the round pin, and a lot of times, whether it's a young horse or one that you're retraining, they will do goofy colt behavior under saddle, those first few rides in the round pin, especially if the horse has never had a rider before. They're still kind of struggling to get their balance. They've got a saddle up on their back, and they've got a rider up there that's bouncing around. And so every so often, they'll kind of scoot and squirt forward and you know, kind of duck a little bit and do these silly little things that a young or a green horse will do and there's a fine line that you have to kind of ride as a trainer when you're riding one of these horses. Some of that behavior, it's better for the horse and it actually builds their confidence more if you can sit some of that stuff and ride through it. So the little goofy colt behavior, you know, kind of squirt sideways or kind of scoot forward a little bit, kind of tuck their tail and hustle a few steps real quick or kind of duck and dive, you know, or, or even kick up their heels a little bit as they're going around, kind of, kind of get tight, maybe kick out at you if you spank on them to get them going forward. You know, if you're, if you over and under and they kick out at your leg, some of that stuff in the initial few rides if possible, and it's not a safety issue and you're a confident rider, it's actually better for that horse if you can sit that and ride through and train through some of that stuff. 
Okay, rather than either giving the horse a release of pressure by stopping or backing off what you're asking for, or doing a more harsh reprimand that the horse won't be able to put two and two together in their mind what they're being punished for. And then you create either an overreaction that escalates the problem, or at the very least, you've now got a horse that's worried and kind of paranoid, not knowing what they did wrong, and and uh, and you just reprimanded them for something, and they they don't understand why. So you've kind of damaged their confidence in that moment, right? We want to avoid that type of stuff. So a young or a green horse like that, they get a little bit of a free pass with some of that behavior. But if it gets to a point where it's a safety issue, then yes, you absolutely need to either shut that horse's feet down or go to try to redirect them in some way. And that's kind of what happened with Jennifer is that this horse started off, it kind of got a little bit tight, kind of scooted forward a little bit. She rode through it. But then this horse started to really kind of scramble around and, and become panicked, right? And so Jennifer went to slide her hand down and just kind of draw this horse around and bring it to a controlled one rein stop. As she slid her hand down and as she went to pull on the rein and bring this horse's head around, and keep in mind, it's, it's moving around the round pin at speed right now. Its feet are in motion, okay? As she goes to pull on the rein to bring this horse's head around, what does this horse feel? It feels for the first time that type of pressure being put on its face while its feet are moving, and, and they're moving really fast right now, okay? So as it feels her pull to bring its nose around, this horse's instinctive reaction is to what? Fight, resist, and panic. So, and this all happened within, like I said, like a second, okay? But as Jennifer's trying to pull more and more to get this horse brought around and brought under control, the horse panics more and more as it feels that pressure escalate. And the harder Jennifer pulls to try to gain control of it, the more panicked and reactive this horse is feeling. And so it created this snowball effect where the harder Jennifer pulled to try to bend the horse's head around and try to bring it under control, the harder the horse fought that and panicked and tried to fight that pressure. And what it did, and which is kind of typical of a lot of horses in this situation, rather than buck, what you'll see them do is they start to lunge forward and like power their front end down towards the ground, trying to rip the rein out of her hand effectively and get out of that bind and escape that pressure. And so this horse is like lunging and jumping and like trying to rip the reins down through Jennifer's hand as she's trying to pull harder and harder to get it brought around. And eventually, because the horse was so preoccupied with fighting her, just mindlessly panicking and trying to resist that pressure, it lost awareness of where it was in the round pin and where its feet were. And it lunged forward like that and actually lost its footing, slipped and crashed down into the round pin fence and kind of actually kind of fell partially on Jennifer and almost pinned her into the round pin fence. Luckily, it was, she did, her knee got banged up and, and whatnot, but it could have been way worse. Like luckily, Jennifer didn't have a severe concussion or broken ribs. I've heard of and even seen people that got severe head injuries, 
that broke their leg that way, that broke their ribs that way, broke their pelvis that way from getting crashed into a fence like that. Luckily, all that happened, I say all, but it was still thousands of dollars in time off that, that Jennifer lost uh, deductible, you know, for medical bills and so forth. She figured it was probably a $3,500 to $4,000 uh, injury that happened to her knee. Um, and, you know, but luckily it wasn't more than that. It could have been way, way worse. But this horse fell on her like that and then kind of scrambled up. And luckily it didn't get any worse from there. But she was still hurt. And the point is that that situation all happened within like a second or a fraction of a second that it escalated from her trying to bend that horse's nose around and, and either tip its nose or just do a one rein stop right there to bring it under control. From the moment that horse felt that pressure and reacted to then panickingly thrashing and lunging forward, trying to rip the rein out of her hand and then lost its footing and fell down with her, that whole sequence lasted you know, a second or two. And she filmed the entire thing. She had a camera sitting there on the round pin and she sent me that video. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth on like, well, what should I be doing with this horse? Like, what, what's the problem here? What did I miss? And the first, one of the first things I asked her was if she had checked the horse around before she got on the horse's back. And she heard that and she was like, damn it, you know, because that's like the one thing out of all the preparation she did, that was the one thing that she missed. And, you know, it's very typical. Like I talk with people all the time, even those that start colts professionally, you can go through quite a few horses and skip that step and not have your number called and not have the horse call you out. Every once in a while, you run into a particularly resistant horse like this that really needed that exercise. And if it doesn't get it, this is what ends up happening. You know, either like in this case, the horse just fought her so hard that it ended up losing its balance and falling over. But I've seen a lot of people get bucked off that way um, or, or heard about it after the fact, you know, and, and they end up getting in a bad wreck because the horse has that reaction. And so kind of the moral of the story there and, and the training takeaway that we can take from that is how essential that checking around exercise is. There's a reason that we say that by using that exercise, we're trying to effectively, quote, get bucked off on the ground. Because if a horse is going to have a reaction like that, it's better that they have it when we're not on their back. When we're in the round pen, we're, on a, we're in a controlled environment, we're on the ground, if the horse is going to have a reaction like that, I'd rather have it be done in a safe way that hopefully we can train through that, keep spiraling the horse around and keep their feet moving. And then when they do relax and soften and submit to that and accept the situation, then we can take the pressure off, etc. You know, basically allow the horse to experience that and kind of work through that on their own a little bit, kind of pull on themselves a little bit. And then realize after that initial kind of panicked reaction that they're not actually in trouble. It's the exact same as the hobbling process. You know, from the first day that we're uh, leading one by the feet with just the lariat around the, the pastern of one hind foot to then escalating that to the one-legged hobble and then sidelines and three-way hobble, etc. At each stage of that process, we're exposing the horse to that bind, to having their feet restricted, 
And we're trying to set them up for success by allowing them still to move their feet in certain ways, kind of move them around the round pin and allow them to kind of feel that restriction, kind of struggle through it a little bit, but in a controlled environment where they can be safe. And once they've kind of worked through that in their mind and realized that the answer is just to relax or follow a feel and come off of that rope pressure and create slack, that breakthrough that the horse has in their mind is such a giant confidence booster. I can't tell you because it's, it's an intense experience, but a positive one. And it's something, it's a lesson that goes directly against the horse's instincts. But once they learn it, it leaves a powerful lasting impression in their mind that, okay, when I feel that kind of physical restriction, either on my legs or on my face with the bridle rein or the hackamore or whatever, that the answer is to soften and yield rather than panic and thrash and try to break the bridle or break the hobbles, etc. Okay, That is a powerful confidence-building lesson that leaves a lasting impression, like it speeds up the learning process for everything else that we teach after that. That's why we introduce these exercises before we ever get on that horse's back. They're extremely important, and I'm not going to compromise ever on that aspect of my program. I show that in my cult starting series. And this kind of leads into my second story that I wanted to tell. This is originally something I was going to put in the podcast and didn't, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that I waited because now I can share this in a little broader context. So we, when we were marketing that series initially, we made some promo videos that had clips of actual training segments from that series. And there's a couple snippets in there of showing that horse's first day being hobbled. I think I was actually in the process of leading him by the feet. And so it kind of shows the horse going forward and then me setting against the rope and allowing the horse to hit the end of the rope and kind of struggle initially before they soften and back up and create slack on the rope. So there was a video snippet of that and a video snippet of a horse with its head tied around, being checked around and flagged around in the round pin. So in the advertisement for the series that we put out publicly, that was actually in the video. And there was a couple reasons, but the main one was I wanted to be honest and upfront about what people would see in this training series. And specifically, I didn't want like more of the tree-hugging types and the people that are buying into all this clicker shit and this woo-woo mindfulness crap that's getting really popular right now. If people want to go do that, that's fine. I'm trying to do this in a safe way where we actually facilitate a task, meaning that a horse comes through the end of this program and they can be used for something practical. They can either become a a using horse, a saddle horse that actually goes and does a job, or if that owner wants to show that horse in a particular discipline, they can take the horse's training that way. Or if they're just trail riding and, and riding for pleasure on the weekends, at least, again, we're facilitating a task. And it's it's this style of training is designed to where anybody can basically pick up and play. Anybody can get along with this horse in a safe and controlled way. And uh, you don't need to have a fanny pack full of treats in order to do that, right? So I wanted to be very upfront and honest about what people are going to see in this series and kind of push away those that wouldn't be a good fit for it anyway. 
And inevitably, when you run ads on social media, you're going to get kind of the extreme reaction. And I get it because I'm interrupting your news feed with my ad, right? So when I do get negative comments or whatever, I don't put a lot of stock in it because it kind of comes with the territory, to be honest. It's not something I really worry about too much. But one guy in particular that, that had a real knee-jerk negative reaction to our ads and our posts, he kind of went to the next level of like following us around on social media, just using any opportunity to try to shit on what we were doing and, and kind of making a, a nuisance out of himself a little bit. And I still didn't respond to it, but it kind of piqued my curiosity because I clicked on the dude's profile on Facebook and it said he was a trainer. So I looked at his business page and come to find out he's kind of a self-proclaimed cult starter a little bit. And so I thought, well, that's funny. I mean, usually I don't see other professional trainers going out of their way to, to shit on somebody publicly on social media like that. But I figured, well... He has his thing to do. I've got mine to do. Clearly, he must not have a lot of training right now if he's, if he's got this much time. I mean, it was like incessant. Like this dude was trying to make a nuisance of himself, right? Um, but I had noticed that he was also posting negative things on other people's pages. And so I didn't really take it personally. It just seems like he was kind of a, kind of a bitter, burnt out old horse trainer that you know doesn't have anything better to do, quite frankly. So I just kind of put that in the back of my mind, and, and then he kind of dropped off the face of the earth for like six, seven months, and I didn't notice that I hadn't heard from him in a while until I saw him post a shitty comment on a friend of mine who's a reining horse trainer. He had posted a video from a show, and there's that same guy again, and he's commenting something negative, and I, I saw that, and I was like, hey... There's my little troll, you know, where's my little troll been? I haven't heard from him in forever. And so, again, being curious, I dug into it a little bit. And it turns out that the reason for his absence and kind of vanishing off the internet for months and months was because this guy got in a really bad wreck with one of the colts that he was riding. I mean, busted up internally, broken ribs, almost died level of wreck. Okay. And I don't know if he had, I'm, I'm assuming he probably would have had a concussion from the sound of it as well with how the rest of his body was broken up. But, um, he apparently, a friend of his found him at home, just kind of sitting there all broken up, rotting away in a chair. Cause he either was just out of sorts and, and couldn't contact anybody, or he didn't have anybody that was around to, to check on him. But a friend of his finally did a welfare check, found him, and got him to the hospital and, and probably saved his life, okay? And the reason I know all this is because they went and made a GoFundMe page to try to help pay for his medical bills and his recovery. And they posted this entire story on the GoFundMe. They had pictures, you know, of the guy coming home. I mean, hospital gown, using a walker, like... He was on death's doorstep if the GoFundMe page is to be believed. So that's where I'm getting my information from is from the guy's own friend that was trying to raise money on his behalf to help him recover from that wreck that he had. And while I don't wish that type of stuff on anybody, because as I said, I've known so many people over the years that have been really severely injured 
starting colts or trying to retrain a horse. And it could still happen to me one day, you know, even though I'm proud of the fact that since I've implemented the type of training that I do, that I've avoided having time off injuries from starting colts. The day may come where despite me trying to do everything that I know how to do, that horse could fall or have some other freak accident and then I'd be toast, right? It's a risk that kind of hangs over all of us that are in horses. And you never like to see somebody get broken up that badly. But I do see a bit of irony in the fact that he went out of his way to shit on us. And in particular, he had a really big problem with seeing horses hobbled and with seeing horses checked around. That that was abusive, that that was not proper, that that was not horsemanship. Okay, Went out of his way to be super negative call us abusers, criticize what we were doing, when it's that very aspect of our program that I believe has kept me safe working so many horses and, and that I recommend. And then, in fact, close friends of mine, and I tell Jennifer's story in particular as an example of the type of things that can happen if you skip that step in your training or if you, like this guy, for some ideological reason about, oh, I don't, I don't like to see a horse's head bent around, you know, or I don't like to see them legs tied up. That ain't, that ain't proper. That ain't right. You know, and that you're going to withhold doing something that is, that is, you know, potentially could save your life. Like, let's just be real about that. Um, something that is going to massively build your horse's confidence and can almost ensure that you're going to be able to get on their back safely. Why would you eliminate that from your program because you have an ideological compunction with, well, I don't like how that looks. You know, even though it may work, I don't like the look of having a horse's head tied around. And I've never been that been like that. I mean, I'm willing to do there there is a certain level, obviously, where you're trying to balance what is best for the horse, but also what is going to keep me safe right? And those things have to be in balance. It's not one or the other. You're trying to do both. And in this case, this exercise in particular, checking a horse around as well as the hobbling, quite frankly, these are lifelong skills that will keep a horse safe and that will keep you safe getting on their back, especially that first time. And to hold yourself back and and not want to do that for for ideology reasons to me is just that's super low IQ behavior, in my opinion. Um, and as I said, that it was ironic that the very thing that he criticized, he then goes and gets in a bad wreck with one of these horses that he's starting. And um, so a moral lesson there about karma, I suppose. But again, a practical one of the types of things that can happen if you skip that step in your preparation. So... I just wanted to share that. As I said, these two things kind of closely relate together. And Jennifer and I, as we were talking, we were kind of going through these stories. And I felt I'd share them with those of you listening, just to give you something to lick and chew on. And and those in particular that aren't super familiar with what we're talking about, um, you know, or that maybe just picked up the program, this will kind of give you some deeper context into what we do and why we do it. So hopefully you guys got something out of this. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Horseman's Academy podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a five-star rating to help other horsemen just like you find the podcast. To learn more about the Horseman's Academy or to submit a training question you want covered on the show, visit www.lundallperformance.com. Thank you.